Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here to discuss the February 1982 issue of X-Men win a Columbia 10-speed Formula 10 racer details inside again. This is the November 10th, 1981 on-sale date issue, uh, and it's titled Reunion. Yeah, yeah. And on the cover of this, we've got uh, Storm, Cyclops, and uh, long-since-forgotten star jammer Corsair. And they are fighting off some purple uh, things. Do you think, how many of these Columbia 10-speed Formula 10 racers did they give out? Well, um, I don't know. But it looks like the promotion went for like four months. I wonder if somebody should make a documentary about all the winners of this. <laughs> yeah. And if you're a listener and you happen to be somebody who won the Columbia 10 speed racer, you should let us know. It'd be awesome. You definitely should. Or if you know anybody or if you have any connections to anybody who knows anybody. Yeah. It was probably Jim Shooter's kid or uh, Chris Claremont's kid. You think it was, it was shady? <laughs> it was an inside deal. They're like, how can we get bikes for our kids? I know, we'll run a contest and then give the bike to our kids. Everybody from Marvel won one. <laughs> Pretty one, much. One, one. Uh, the creatures on the cover here, if they are creatures, uh, are, are not very well detailed. They're basically just a, a purple, um, evil-looking spider with a big yellow eye, kind of. They remind me of something. Um, mm-hmm. They remind me of something I feel like as well. This is from a movie or something like that. Yeah, maybe. They're very different. Different. Uh, I've never seen anything like them. <laughs> if I was a child in 1981, wait, I was a child in 1981. <laughs> I feel like they remind me of like a, a cartoon uh, alien enemy, but I, I just don't know. I can't put my finger on which one. It's very familiar, though. Then yeah. again, I have read this issue. <laughs> so have I. This one is written by Chris Claremont, and it is arted by Dave Cockrum, Bob Wisiak, Wisiak, Yes, That was some of your dyslexic reading there. <laughs> uh, Joseph Rubenstein, uh, lettered by Joe Rosen, colored by D. Warfield. He's a new guy, or she. Edited by Luis Jones, and Jim Shooter is the editor-in-chief. And, uh, I feel like they could have spaced out these names a little better because some people get short chef shifted and short shrifted and some people get more space. Yeah, I'm with you. We we certainly know who the stars of this book are. Although, you know, you have to wonder. The like editors. <laughs> exactly. And and Chris Claremont. So it's, Chris, it's a Chris Claremont and editors joint. Uh, everybody else is second banana. But uh, we, in this first splash panel, we see Storm and Cyclops playing their own unique version of racquetball in which they're using their powers. 
Well, it can't be racquetball because there are no rackets. Mutant ball. Well, they call it handball in the in the in the panel. Yeah, well, the same difference. Although it looks like it's played with a medicine ball, so it's a bit bigger than a racquetball. What is squash? Is that a game? Squash is a game. Uh, I don't know what it is, but I think it's very similar to like um, table tennis or what's that? Ping pong. Because uh, I have a pong, one of those old school pong games, and it's got a couple of different n- n- modes. One of them's like uh, ping pong, one of them's volleyball, and one of them's squash. So I have to imagine they all share the same principle of hitting a ball over a net. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, like room ball. Room ball. Uh, that's essentially what they're playing here. On the next page, uh, they're going back and forth about their uh, advantages and disadvantages. Apparently, as they have played this game in the past, not one of them has ever been more than one point above the other. Very they're close. pretty even. I find that hard to believe, though. Mm-hmm. There was never one time... When one of them had two points, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on if there's like an offensive and a defensive mechanism in this game. You know, like in basketball, like if you're playing half court basketball, you have to take it back to the line and then you have to, then you can run back in. I don't know if that element is in play here. So the rules are simple. Cyclops propels and maneuvers the ball using only his powerful and potentially deadly optic blasts. (laughs) Well, Storm who must remain airborne during the game, manipulates it with the winds she controls. Beyond that, anything goes. Yes, sir. I'm uh, thinking this game is not very evenly, like, I don't know. I don't know. It like this, this doesn't seem like it's easier for either of them. It just seems like a really difficult game. Well, that's the whole point, though. This is, uh, they even say that they thank Wolverine for this idea. It's a little bit more fun, and it it's it's difficult enough that it challenges their use of their power so it makes a very good practice uh exercise for them though he and uh he being wolverine and nightcrawler usually play for beer i think at last count nightcrawler owed him a truckload whoa Cyclops gets the advantage momentarily. I guess we should mention that the score right now is storm uh, up by 1 point over cyclops but he catches her off uh, balance by a fraction, and he uses some of that that spatial uh, recognition of his or whatever to shoot a seemingly random series of bolts, which ends up knocking the ball out or something. And he gets a point. So now they're tied, and she falls to the ground. That was very nice and nasty move, Scott. Wolverine would have been proud of you. Consider it my swan song. I'm beat. So it's a draw, and they're both really sweaty. Yeah, really sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) There's a little bit of back and forth here about uh, how Cyclops likes being the best, uh, and he's it's not easy for him to get used to having a rival, much less an equal. Come on, let's hit the showers. So presumably they go shower together. We cut to a scene where they're both in the showers. They continue talking. <laughs> yep. Cyclops is uh, washing Storm's naked back. It's it's actually pretty uh, out of place for a Marvel comic. The shower is actually Storm uh, <laughs> causing the, the rain to come down on them. They're, they're outside. Yes, yes. Being one with nature and, and one another. But we cut to space. A billion and a half kilometers out system, out system, that's apparently the terminology here, from Earth. 
And there's this, uh, well, we get a little dialogue about the Voyager 2 uh, flying around, taking pictures. But right now it's in kind of like a sleep mode while it makes its way over to, I don't know, Uranus or something. Hey. <laughs> it's going to Adam's anus. <laughs> uh, and it, if it wasn't in sleep mode, there's a potential that it could have taken some pictures of this uh, spaceship that's flying by. And I'm not sure what the big deal of that is. I mean, this is the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, Galactus has Everybody been to Earth. their spaceship. Exactly. Uh, but apparently, eh, I don't know. Claremont wanted to burn a few panels. Or we just wanted to get some sort of a cinematic entry to Corsair. He's, uh, the starship is indisputably alien. Its pilot is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I forgot to say. Star jammers jamming across the universe. Star jammers. I don't think you have to do that, Adam, because it's just one star jammer. I I still have to. I think this is where you s- you sing the sad, lonely star jammer song. <laughs> star jammer, only just one of them. Exactly. Well done, sir. <laughs> and uh, he did not think that he would be coming back to Earth, but he is. He's been gone for about twenty years. And uh, on... and then out of the uh, depth of space comes a Shi'ar dreadnought. They've found me. On his little Vizzy screen, he's got a picture of the X-Men. Uh, so he's he's probably going to make his way to see the X-Men would be my guess. Could be. You could be onto something there. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we cut over to uh, Magneto's Island from issue 150. Not only do we cut over, but this is the first of what I believe is two interludes. I hate that word, by the way. Why do you hate the word interlude? It's, I don't know. It just feels like it's alliteratively overused. Yeah, I I don't know if it's right to have an interlude after an interlude. Well, and it just doesn't seem, in this particular book, to me an interlude is like something else happening that's not really relevant to right now, but might be relevant to a long time from now. It's it's something that's happening at the same time as the main story that affects the main story. Later though, but I don't know. This yeah, is right, later. This is this is so we had the Star Jammers interlude. Now we're the going idea to is that this is happening at the exact same time. Is that what interlude means? I think so. Okay. Uh well I can't I don't really buy that though, because now we have the um Magneto's Island interlude, which we'll cover in a second here. But as soon as we finish with this interlude, we go right back to the Star Jammers interlude. Does that mean that all of these events are happening simultaneously? Because if uh, they well, like you like you said, that's that's an overlude, <laughs> overuse of the word. Uh, it, it's an overlude. <laughs> it, it's an overlude. Yes. Um, here we go. Interlude, according to Google, is an intervening period of time or something performed during a theater intermission. Hmm. So that- it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a small hiatus away from the main story. Yeah, and all of these points that we're reading in this particular issue uh, are points of the story. <laughs> okay. Anyways, I guess, or it's just a period of time. Well, that can't be the use of it. All right. Well, whatever. <laughs> I think it's. I feel like it's being misused, and I think Chris Claremont puts interlude a lot into these comics, and it's misused. Maybe later on in his career he gets it right, but anyways, uh, on Magneto's island. They are hauling supplies from outside to inside. 
Peter Corbo is there. Ileana Rasputin is there. Colossus, Magneto, not Magneto, Professor X, and Nightcrawler. Wolverine must be around somewhere, but we don't see him yet. And Lee Forrester, right? Yes. She is right there. This is, she is, this is where she's been? She's in one of the boxes. <laughs> as a matter of fact, as Colossus is carrying some boxes up some stairs, the arrows that say this side up are pointing down. <laughs> oh, that Colossus. He's dumb. There's one point in here where they say that uh, this is the home of the outlaw X-Men. And I believe that was on the first page. And the only reason I bring that up is because that's one of the first references, I think, to the X-Men being outlaws. And it gets... Why are they outlaws? Well, exactly. It doesn't really say. But in this next panel, we get a little uh, dialogue from the professor who's saying that uh, the world is... There's a lot of anti-mutant sentiment in the States. And from what he hears and what he has learned recently, there may be an official sanction, whatever that means, for the moment. It's it just seems like paranoia on the professor's part. It does. But I think we're trying to f- cram in mutant hysteria and outlawness into this issue. It's good. It's important. It is. It definitely is. But I feel like it could have been done more subtly. Yeah. Um, we also get a scene where the professor reads uh, Nightcrawler's mind. Uh, Nightcrawler thinking, I wonder if it is a safe haven for Ilyana or the X-Men. And the professor says, considering how often the security of our mansion has been breached of late night, would it have been any safer to remain at home? I doubt it. Professor, you read my thoughts. And that's when the professor says, I apologize, Kurt, but they were so obvious and so strong, I couldn't help it. To which I call bull. <laughs> I believe the professor is always listening in on everybody's thoughts. How are his thoughts? He, he was, how are they so obvious? I don't understand. And how are they so, uh, I don't know. I don't, what is he talking about? This Your is, thoughts are very strong. This is something that will be used. <laughs> Stop o- having such strong thoughts. Yeah. Well, this is something that will be used over and over and over again by all psychics in the Marvel universe. Uh, yeah, I know. It's been used by Jean Grey before. And it'll be used by, well, it'll be used in the future. And I do, I too am also like, well, this, especially here, because it's not like he's angry or anything like that kind of makes sense in some of the future stories where, you know, one of the psychics will be like, don't talk like that. And they're like, what are you talking about? Why are you reading my yeah, thoughts? He, he's casually drinking a glass of water. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So they're not that strong. Uh, the professor also goes on to say that the island was one of Magneto's primary installations, so there might be records, so they might be able to learn more about their arch foe. I hope so. Yeah, professor, this place gives me the creeps. The professor's just obsessed. <laughs> Meanwhile, we cut to Lee Forrester, who has grown her hair out and has changed her name to Carol Danvers. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> this is just Carol Danvers. I... I don't think Lee Forrester's in this issue at all, Adam. What thought you said she was in a box? (laughs) What did they do with her? They're like, thanks for your help, and just put her on a boat. (laughs) Get out of here now. But, Scott, I love you. I like doing you, but I'm still sad about Gene. I'm a jerk. I'm finding myself. (laughs) (laughs) But if I ever find somebody who looks just like Gene... Maybe then. <laughs> but until that time, babe, it's all just casual sex. Uh, go talk to Colleen Wing. <laughs> yeah, you can go join the Dumped by Cyclops Club. 
Although you never know, like you never see these people get dumped. They just kind of drift away. I'm betting they dumped him. He's kind of a whiny, I don't know. A whiny bee. Yeah. Somebody should write a, uh, uh, Lee Forrester and Colleen wing breakup, uh, issue of the X-Men. I think that'd be very funny. Be like issue one fifty and a half, just like some some stupid little adventure that the X Men go on. But the main crux of the story is uh, the Lee Forrester Scott Summers breakup. Oh Scott, it's not you, it's me. Something like that. <laughs> and your deadly eyes. <laughs> so, anyways, Carol Danvers, she's out on the patio, like this little little sea patio or whatever, and she's mad. She's angry. Because she lost her mind because it was stolen by Rogue in Avengers Annual number 10. And that's yeah. when somebody from behind her says, Major. Who? Wolverine. And I think this is where we learn that they have a prior relationship when Wolverine was in the Canadian Secret Service. And she and her partner, Colonel Mike Rossi, were in the Air Force Intelligence. Those were good times. I think later this will be retconned because I, I think uh, as time progresses, Logan and Carol's relationship gets more and more intimate. Yeah. Well, I don't they're know. Past, if... they're, they're past. Whereas, but here she's like, pardon my asking, but didn't we meet a few years ago? So she she doesn't even remember him. Well, yeah, but she doesn't remember him because her mind was stolen from her by Rogue. So she's got... Well, I suppose, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. So I don't think it gets retconned. I think it just gets more fully fleshed out. Yeah, we used to do it. (laughs) In fact, there's an issue uh, way, way in the future where Rogue takes on Carol's personality and they they talk to each other as if they were Carol and Wolverine from the old days. Hmm. So anything's possible when you're uh, in the Marvel Universe. I don't remember. Not you, not mich- the missions, not even Rossi. I loved Wolverine. I remember that. But I don't remember what he looked like. Why does she remember that? I don't know. I can't picture his face, hear his voice, and when I think of him, I feel nothing! So how did, except, yeah. for, except for the fact that I loved him. Except for love, but that's nothing! I'm angry! Sorry, I didn't mean to come apart like that. It's all right. And then Kitty comes into the room and Wolverine gets mad. Blast. What is it, Kitty? That was the wrong wall to phase through and the wrong time to do it. It Something like a country song. That was the wrong wall to phase through and the wrong time to do it. We were going to rekindle some long lost feelings for one another. (laughs) I am Nick Rossi. Oh, go, Wolverine. I'll be fine. So the professor... Wolverine's being, like, sensitive to Carol, but at the same time, like, he's being overly sensitive to Kitty. I don't know. And the weird thing is that she's like, oh, the professor sent me to get you. Like, why wouldn't the professor just be like, Wolverine, to me, my X-Man? <laughs> the professor's just using his power over, over Kitty. It's a power play. So another interlude, 400,000 kilometers above Earth's at a surface. Okay, uh, I got some more definitions for interlude. A me. brief romantic or sexual meeting or relationship. Sure. You think, I think it's probably that one. Yeah. <laughs> a short piece of music that is played between the parts of a longer one, a drama or a religious service. Yeah. Oh, that so may, that actually, I, think, I think that's what 
he's getting at, the short piece of music, but I think it's incorrectly used as a storytelling device. Hmm. I don't know. I've always, yeah, I, I'm not reading the definitions, but I've always looked at it to be kind of like a, a thing that doesn't necessarily need to be there, but is still kind of interesting. Here's a couple of uh, examples of interlude and in sentences. She left for a brief interlude. He has resumed his acting career after a two-year interlude. Right. So in that example, he was an actor. He took some time off to do something completely unrelated. And then he went back to being an actor. They always met in the city for their romantic interludes. <laughs> All right. I'm done. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's it's Corsair and he's flying around. Uh, he thinks that he lost the dreadnought in the asteroid belt, but then he sees plasma tor- torpedoes coming at him, uh, and that sucks. So he thinks he's going to go down. <laughs> I underestimated him. The moment they lost me, they must have come straight here. Dang. Darn it all. Back at the mansion, not an interlude, just part of the story, continuing. Cyclops is making dinner, and he has got bread and salad and a pitcher of water and potentially a beer can, or maybe that's just a glass for the water. He's got a bowl of salad. He does have a salad bowl, yep. And he's like, oh, man, when it comes to me cooking, my standards are pretty low, but here we go. Storm comes in with the mail. Flies in through the window. (laughs) I have the mail, Scott. (laughs) I didn't feel like walking through the front door, so instead I've decided to make a windstorm, which has knocked your salad all over the place. Sorry about (laughs) that. That just seems really unnecessary. (laughs) Very unnecessary. Here's a postcard from Kitty. Uh, She got a sunburn. She's been practicing her dance moves so that she can get in the piece that Stevie Hunter is choreographing. Wow. Everyone is well, though. Carol seems quite depressed. That's some postcard. Kitty writes, very small. What is that? A letter from Emma Frost's Massachusetts Academy officially revoking Kitty's admission. And the White Queen was as good as her word. Mm-hmm. It's too late in the year, therefore Kitty's parents have no choice but to leave Kitty at Professor Xavier's school for higher gifted education or whatever. So there you go. We've we've closed the loop on that story. Moving on. Hooray. <laughs> uh, Storm enjoys the dinner. They talk about how maybe Cyclops would like to be leader again, but Cyclops isn't quite so sure. And Storm isn't really sure that she wants to give up the responsibility. She didn't want to. I'm not quite sure. I want the job back. Good lord. It's a a good meeting of the minds here. Um, Because, I mean, that begs a question to the readers. Like, well, the old leader's back. Like, why wouldn't he just regain the reins? Yeah. And, and, you know, this will be something that continues for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they hear some uh, roaring engine noises. They run outside and they see a starcraft, a spacecraft. It's a trap. (laughs) Admiral Akbar jumps off the bridge. Uh, It crashes into the lake and apparently Storm and Cyclops race to get their uh, breathing, underwater breathing kits because they have those on. They dive down there. They rescue the pilot. They recognize him as Corsair. They wonder how they're ever going to explain this. And then the ship blows up and they're like, well, we're never going to be able to explain this. Scott, I recognize 
Me too. It's Corsair. He is far more than that, my friend, she thinks to herself. It's a weird, uh... <laughs> Generally, people don't say people's names and then they think, well, he's far more than just his name. <laughs> Corsair is unconscious, but he dreams about uh, an airplane, him and his wife, uh, push, let's see, pushing uh, Alex and Scott out of the airplane, getting beamed up to a Shi'ar ship, his wife paying the price for her love and loyalty. Uh, she's in a bikini and all bloody, and there's a Shi'ar guy standing over her with a knife, so something bad happened there. Well, we, we know all this. Do we? I don't think we do. Yeah, I didn't, didn't, I I know we've done this before. I'm pretty sure we did it in a classic X-Men. You think so? I don't think it's been done in canon. I think this is the it first. It's like a really weird flashback to just be done in canon. Well, maybe it's not. It's not I, be done in canon. I don't know. You don't think uh, Jean Grey got this out of his mind or something? I don't know, maybe. I don't, I guess I don't quite remember. Those darn classic X-Men screw with your mind, you know? Yeah, that's true. But, uh. They think about more recent thoughts of the Star Jammers being ambushed by a battalion of Imperial combat troops, and there was only one way out of it, and that was to send one of the guys uh, away for help. And so Corsair was the obvious choice to alert the X-Men. He's the only one who can fly the ship. <laughs> he wakes up, and he's like, hey, Cyclops, how's it going? Can the snappy patter, Corsair, explain this locket and these Air Force dog tags? The woman's face is familiar, and the two boys are me and my brother Alex. <laughs> if I was any smarter, I might be able to piece it together. <laughs> uh, in fact, I thought I did back a few issues ago when I didn't just shave in the Savage Land and I wrapped something around my head and I said, Boy, do I look like Corsair, but I'm not smart. The tags are mine, Scott. The woman is my wife. The children are my sons. Wait a minute. You just I just said the children were was was me and my Alex. What does that mean? You just got your peanut butter and my chocolate. You just got your chocolate and my peanut butter. I don't know what that means. You're lying. Scott, forgive me, but he told me, so it must be true. Don't take his word for it. Take mine. Well, did he tell her? He did, Is yeah. Is that what happened? Yep. And I thought she just figured it out for herself. Oh, well. Ah, uh, I don't How know. How the blazes do you know, Storm? Look out! And that's when one of the things who is now colored black from the cover, which was covered purple, bursts through the window and shoots at Corsair, who says, Sidrian Hunters! It's there after, It's me thereafter. They'll have to wait their turn until I get some answers, Corsair. You're mine. Corsair springs up to action and starts shooting at the Sidrian hunters. And Cyclops shoots at the Sidrian hunters. And they're like, what are these and how do we hurt them? And Corsair says their primary weakness is intense heat. My blaster slows them down, but a good bomb would help. Do you have one? And uh, Storm kind of thinks to herself about how serious he is, but he would use the bomb if he had it, even though he's jesting. What kind of a man is he? I wonder if we'll find out this issue. <laughs> so she whips up a windstorm to get them off balance, which works for a little bit. The furniture does not survive. Our heroes protected by Storm from her creation do, regrettably. So also do their foes. So they fight for a little bit more. They're... Uh, 
Storm's thinking to herself that she should do something to be a leader. And so she says, what next? <laughs> you tell me. Fight like, or run. Like, hey, I'm not the leader. You tell me. Fight or run. <laughs> we just had this conversation. I'm not it. Fine. We'll run. Let's go. Cyclops is thinking to himself, my father alive. As a kid, I dreamed of this meeting. I prayed for it. Now that it's happened, I feel happy, angry, mostly numb. Feelings are very confusing for me. They're not my specialty. <laughs> I used to think I liked Lee Forrester, but not anymore. <laughs> Same thing with Colleen Wing. So a plan is hatched that Cyclops and Corsair will head down to the Blackbird uh, in the underground monorail thing, and Storm will stay behind and hold them back. Corsair does not like this plan at all. Nope. Can't leave her? The hangar's a mile down the tunnel, hidden beneath a copsy on the estate. Um, copsy? Or I don't even know how you... Cops? Copes? The, the, I, I would not know what this meant, or I, I still kind of don't really know what it meant, but I would not even recognize the word were it not for the New York Times uh, crossword puzzle. Um, the clue was thicket. Oh. So I guess it's a thicket. How did you know? Did you do the New York Times crossword puzzle today and this was a word? No, it was, it was a, like a, the New York Times crossword puzzle from earlier this week. Oh, wow. Or from last week. Whenever the heck we were supposed to read this. Uh, yeah, and um, I did not get the answer, but I filled in enough things so that I figured out that it was a copsy. And then I was like, I don't know what that is. And then lo and behold, it, sh it showed up in this issue. And I was like, whoa, crazy. Well, wonders never cease. Corsair is like, you cold-blooded. They'll tear her, tear her apart. We have to help her. She's your friend, Scott. Don't you care? Then we get a weird set of two panels. The first where Scott thinks of himself, Storm, Aurora. And then he turns and socks his father and says, yes. <laughs> but I'll leave but her I'll just leave the her same. Just the same as I'd expect her to leave me. It's very overreactive on both of their parts. Maybe this is dramatic. Yeah. Maybe this is just establishing the whole father, son, I don't know, emotional overload thing. Storm, meanwhile, is generating some uh, lightning, um, but it doesn't seem to be helping because the Sidri are able to deflect it. The strain is beginning to wear her down. She can't maintain this effort for much longer. So Cyclops hops into the modified version of the famed SR-71 Blackbird, uh, now with the logo Kitty's Dragon on the side. And there is indeed an image of Lockheed the Dragon from issue number 153, which lucky winner Jake Ivey is now a proud owner of. Storm, or Cyclops calls to Storm and says it's time to go, so she generates a monsoon or something to get the Sidri out of the way, and she flies down that tunnel towards the jet. Remember this power that she used to have where she could just create a monsoon out of nothing? Yeah, no, she can't do that anymore. Well, now, no, she can. Well, she will say at some point that she just manipulates existing weather weather patterns. She just can't conjure stuff up. Well, she, here, here she's still conjuring. All right, so we're kind of flip-flopping on this whole thing. <laughs> As they shoot away in the Blackbird, they look back and they see that the mansion is overrun by Sidri and destroyed. And Cyclops, for the very first time, thinks to himself... 
Charles loved that old house. I did too. It was the only real home I remember. It'll break his heart to see it like this. And the 27 more times it will be destroyed. <laughs> he takes several photos to show the professor. <laughs> Hasn't the mansion been destroyed once before? Or a couple of times before even? Uh, I don't recall. Hmm. Like, didn't Juggernaut destroy it? That That's the one that springs to mind. Yeah. But I don't remember how that ended. Well, they're wondering what the Sidri are going to do. they got to keep their eyes open because there might be a ship somewhere around here. Uh, so we got to put that out of commission. But Corsair says, hey, take another look, lad. The Sidri don't need a ship. They are a ship. And all the Sidri get together and form a giant ship that but looks like a, a big Sidri. You didn't need to punch me, you jackass. <laughs> oh, yeah. Storm reveals that... Uh, the reason that she needed to stay behind was because she could fly up to the Blackbird. Yes. Good plan on her part. Go leader Storm. <laughs> Meanwhile, at the uh, regional air traffic control, they see crazy blips on the radar and they don't even know what it is. Yeah, and, and it turns out that there is a giant Sidri spaceship, which is, I don't know, it's, they, they put it next to a airplane. And I don't know, it's maybe six times the size of an airplane it's as big as a skyscraper they say that yeah they do whoa that's huge (laughs) that is a huge ship but yeah you're right it's about six times the length of a i don't know airplane whatever kind of commercial airplane this is uh the blackbird's trying to get away from um populated areas but the sidri ship is like firing above it to keep it down for some reason so it's basically flying around new york city right now if you're trying to like keep the damage to a minimum, you don't fly under a bridge. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, it does say that the Sidri are forcing him into a low-level game of cat and mouse uh, that begins at Manhattan Triborough Bridge. He so, doesn't have to go under the bridge. That's all I'm saying. I, he should have gone over the bridge. I, I don't disagree. Uh, so he's flying across the the bay here, whatever bay this is. Sidri's shooting at him. Corsair's like, hey, there's innocent people down here. Cyclops. Thanks, Pop. <laughs> I needed that. Sidri thing is keep shooting at the Blackbird, and that's when Cyclops is like, well, I've been meaning to test this. We've got a modified windshield in the Blackbird that has little bits of ruby quartz in it that it basically polarizes the windshield and makes it an even more powerful blast. So I'm going to use that right now. And I don't think he will ever use it again. I don't know about that because I do remember in one of the official handbooks to the Marvel Universe or something like that where they went over a diagram of the Blackbird. And this was definitely in there. Modified windshield to uh, focus Cyclops' optic beams. Well, it's a cool idea. I mean, yeah, it's something that they should use all the time. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe they don't ever use it again, but I, I got to imagine that they do. I hope so. They shoot the Sidri and it's not effective. That's what tells me that they're going to use it again. The effect is most impressive, though. Yes, it is. But it doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't. So they're flying around. They're doing some loop-de-loops throughout New York. They pass by a restaurant where someone says, Never, that's an aeroplane. So it is, Madeir. You think that's a restaurant? Or you think that's just somebody's house? Oh, it could be somebody's high-rise fancy apartment. That's what I think. 
Very nice flying, son. I couldn't have done better myself. Did I mention I'm an ace pilot? <laughs> he looks pretty haggard in this panel. He does. <laughs> the name is Cyclops. Too hard. The name is Cyclops, mister. You haven't the right to call me anything else. Scott, the forces of nature are often far greater than the woman who summons them. That's me, the woman who summoned them, <laughs> in case you didn't know. So the plan here is that if they keep shooting at the Sidri while Storm creates a gale, it might blow them apart. And it does. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Cut a long story short, it works. In the in the middle of all that, though, a uh, an NYPD helicopter is damaged accidentally by the Sidri mm -hmm. um, and rescued by Storm. Yep, Storm grabs the two guys and flies them down. They're like, who are you? And she's like, I'm Storm, an X-Men, and a friend. Also an outlaw. <laughs> I hear there's a lot of anti-mutant sentiment. I can't imagine this will hurt our cause. <laughs> Yep, Sidri's blown apart by some blasting and some tornadoes and some other stuff. And then Sidri go flying all over Manhattan. That's a terrible plan. <laughs> yep. Actually, it's not all over Manhattan. Apparently, it's just this oil gas rig or something that they're flying over. It looks like all the workers are able to evacuate themselves. And Corsair's like, this is a brilliant plan. Now we can blow up this oil refinery or whatever it is and blow and kill the Sidri. Scott says, no way. I can't. I can't. I won't kill Corsair. This is no time for scruples, boy, son. It has no compunctions about killing you or anyone else that gets in its way. You, you sanctimonious fool. We can't let it reintegrate. We've only seconds to act. Storm comes in. Seconds before what? It doesn't matter. Pew, pew, he shoots at the gas thing. <laughs> That's the noise his zapper makes. Pew, pew. I'm sorry, but I have no alternative. I've fought these things you haven't. This is the only way, believe me. Warum? Now we can go. And yeah. the refinery explodes, killing everything and everyone in, in, in the vicinity. What about the refinery workers, Corsair? The firemen who will risk their lives to extinguish the blaze, the cost and pollution to the environment. Did you consider that? Did you care? Callus says it sounds, Cyclops, all of that is negligible, even expendable. You worry about a few sore lives. Score lives, even. I'm trying to save a world. This world. You are correct, Corsair. It is callous and cruel and inhuman. Then I guess so am I. All right, mister, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> then we get the backstory about how ten standard days ago, a meeting of the Shi'ar Grand Council was raided by a terrorist commando force. Most of the ministers were, sla ministers were slaughtered in the attack. Some executed even after they surrendered. Elandra was kidnapped. My star jammers and I were implicated. And the trail left by the terrorists led straight to Earth. A fast battle force led by Chancellor Iraqi and the Yanomzhah. <laughs> I, I, I fled to Earth. I got chased. And everybody's trying to kill me. And um, presumably they would have destroyed the Earth anyway, even if I wasn't there. Not sure why that makes sense, but okay. Alrighty. And uh, I got blamed. I got blamed for everything. It's, it's uh, So now, now Andrew's kidnapped and everybody thinks I did it. 
That is some crap. (laughs) (laughs) Storytelling wise or just, uh, Oh, uh, that, that, all that, all that's, that's stuff happened. Yeah. Poor Corsair. Yep. So he's going to save the world. Yay. That's the end of issue number 154. Next issue. You know, all this logic, the trail left the terror uh, by the terrorists led straight to earth. So presumably the idea is the terrorists would have destroyed the earth, but couldn't, couldn't Corsair rather than go to earth lead them away from Earth? I think the idea is that the star jammers were implicated, but all of the evidence points to the source of the plot happening on Earth. Well, right. I get that. But don't they want Corsair more than anything? I don't think so. I think they're like, well, we got most of the star jammers now. Let's go blow up Earth. And Corsair just happened to like get to Earth before Deathbird. Or whoever hired the Sidri Hunters. But the Sidri Hunters were definitely after Corsair. They weren't there to destroy the Earth. So, I don't know. This, I mean, obviously this is gearing up to be a revenge plot against somebody on Earth. Probably the Professor. Well, it's the Shi'ar that are going to destroy the Earth because they want to rescue Lalandra. But Oh, right, 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 right. But Why whoever's... would the Shi'ar destroy the Earth? They've had dealings with the Earth before, and, and if Lalandra is on the Earth, then... Wouldn't they not want to destroy it? My guess is that whoever's orchestrating all of this is like, there's only one person who can foil my plan. Lilandra's boyfriend, the professor. So I have to implicate Earth somehow. It just doesn't make any sense. It's overly complicated. But it is what it is, Adam. I know. <laughs> so did you read the letter letters page? I did. I didn't really see anything of that much interest. Why? What'd you well, find? There's... There, there's uh, one thing of interest, and that is that a someone says if if and when Peter gets over his polite reserve, he might call Kitty by an appropriate Russian nickname. The Russian form of Catherine is yet Katerina, mm-hmm. with diminutive forms Katya, Kasha, or in a more affectionate mood, Katyushka. Kitten in Russian is Katyanka, and then they say. Um, as you may have noticed in recent issues, we've taken your suggestions to heart. And uh, it's interesting that a fan came up with the, the Katya thing. Oh, really? That's what the implication is, yeah. Oh, okay. Has he not used that yet? Uh, well, I guess he has, but according to this letter page, it makes it seem like they started using it after they got this letter and they're just now publishing the letter. Oh, well, interesting. I did read that letter, but I, I did not make that uh, specific connection. They well, send this uh, woman or girl or lady a uh, a rust-proof no prize. Oh. <laughs> I remember the first time I won my no prize. Do you? Yeah. You never even mailed a letter. <laughs> I wrote a letter. I just never mailed it. <laughs> Actually, I don't even think I wrote it to Marvel. I think I was writing into Dark Horse about... Are you. About Predator? Probably Predator. I was like, I was blown away, right? Because I've been reading all these Marvel comic books, and all of a sudden, Predator comes out of nowhere, at least in my my world, and there's blood and violence and swearing and boobies. And I was like, whoa, they can't do this in a comic book. Now, what did you know? granted, I don't think those Predator stories were very good, but just more Predator. You should, you should revisit them. 
and um, we should do a podcast about it. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about all the Predators and all the Terminators, uh, I only have three of four issues. And it's I not... Think I, I, think I pretty much have that, too. I have that same problem. And so, well, we were getting comics from the same place. So it'd be like, here's issue one, here's issue two. Oh, we didn't get three. But here's four. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> and there was a couple of two-parters, two-part Terminators that I got like, Issue one, but no issue two. Oh, and they did the thing from another planet. Same deal there. There was two different series that I was trying to get and missed two 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 issues out of both series. So I've not, I don't think I've ever read a complete Predator Terminator thing Dark Horse series. And I bet you if I was collecting Alien, it would have been the same thing. Yeah, I was collecting it. See, you collected Predator and Terminator, and I collected Predator and Alien. Yeah. Well, anyways, those were the days. Yup. Anyways, we uh, got a letter. Well, we actually got some feedback here from, and I don't think we've read this before, and if we have, we apologize. But this was one of the entries, finalists, if you will, in our Win X-Men number 153 contest. Um, Bonfire Ben. This podcast captures all of the fun memories of what it was to be an X-Men fan in the Claremont era and all the way back to issue number one with Stan and Jack 2. I'm looking forward to even more insanity when they finally make it to the chromium age of the 1990s. Oh, that that was an iTunes review? That was an iTunes review. Cool. Thanks, Bonfire Ben. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry you didn't win. Maybe Next next time. And uh, we also got, uh, do we get any other communique? Uh, we got a couple, well, two things on the Facebook. One from Damien Patrick Wims notifying us that Colleen is the uh, oh, is Irish for, or for girl. And the in or in at the end is a, uh, means little. Sure. So, for example, a boreen is a small road. So it, it just means like little lady or something like that. So, but Colleen, I think in the context of issue number 153, I think had three E's at the end. So it was like, <laughs> I think that was a mistake. Colleen. So basically, Colleen. That, that, <laughs> so that just means that the dragon was whiny saying little girl. Yeah. Colleen. We also got a letter from James Howlett, uh, who, by the way, was the, uh, the drink maker of the Cybolt from last episode. You're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do with all that uh, absinthe that I have? I told you what to do with it. I don't remember what you said. Like, drive my car with it? <laughs> yeah. Use it for fuel. <laughs> uh, no, just make absinthe shots. Yeah. They're, New, they're very tasty. New Year's is coming up, so maybe I can fire that up. Yeah. Just uh, get some sugar cubes and, and make some absinthe shots. Yeah. Uh, anyway, James says, hey, fellas, I'm currently looking to start my own podcast and would like to hear what equipment you guys use. Maybe a breakdown of cost and what programs you guys use to edit the show with. I would, of course, give you guys some shout outs and uh, I plan on doing something completely different. Sure. And, um, so I figured you, you would... Uh, you would be better for this because you told me all the equipment to buy. I just bought it. I just made it all up. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, I have a four-channel mixer. Actually, they call it an eight-channel mixer, but there's like 
two or three stereo channels, so it's like fake eight channels. Um, mine is kind of old school uh, in that it is not USB, but you could definitely get yourself like a any Behringer USB four-channel mixer, and that way you can plug in a couple of microphones. You can plug it into your computer to do all of your uh, sound importing, mixing. Uh, if you get a couple of additional inputs, you can plug your iPod in or some other audio source if you want to do like a live theme song type deal. Um, I told Adam to buy a SM50 microphone. Uh, I think it was an SM80. No, I think it's a 50. Hold on, I have the box right here. <laughs> it was a Behringer uh, mixer. Oh, you have the mixer. One-channel one mixer. Because Adam doesn't have... Uh, see, I, I used to do another podcast where I had multiple microphones hooked up into a single mixer. So Adam doesn't do that, so he just has a one-channel mixer. And that works out well on his uh, side. It was, we were both right. It was an SM58. Ah, an SM58, which is a great microphone, but honestly, it's probably not the best application for a podcast what <laughs> look i i kind of made this stuff up but i've learned a lot more since then i'm actually using a tascam tm78 microphone which is basically it's it's a very omnidirectional microphone but it captures a more even sound pattern and it kind of looks like one of those um um uh, radio dj microphones it's kind of like a not not quite a ball, but it's it's more oval shaped. It's it's a microphone. It kind of looks like David Letterman's microphone, but just not as shiny. Whereas Adam's microphone is is the microphone for any uh, um, singer basically on a stage. We'll use that exact same microphone. So it's an excellent microphone. But when you talk into Adam's microphone and you look away from the mic, it's going to sound like this. Whereas my microphone, I can talk like all around it, and you can pretty much capture uh, the audio form. And then Adam and I talk with each other through uh, Google Talk. We used to talk through each other through Skype. Uh, Skype had a lot of noise problems, and Google Talk has some cutoff problems, but I feel like the sound quality is a little higher. And then for sound editing, I use uh, Vegas Pro, but you can use uh, – what, what is the thing that you have, Adam, that's free? Uh, I don't use that anymore. <laughs> uh, it was Audacity. So – I know that some podcasters will use Audacity, and if you don't need to use, do, like, advanced editing, if you just want to maybe, like, bring up some volume levels and stuff, I think it's perfectly Honestly, adequate. even if you do need to uh, you do some advanced editing, you can. It's just going to be a lot more difficult in Audacity than it's actually built to do it. Yeah. No, I've used Audacity to do a few different things, and it, it's definitely got its purpose, but it, it's a little bit harder to use for, for whatever reason. So that's... It really, in a nutshell. Um, I, I use uh, Sony Vegas to edit on a PC, and when I'm editing on a Mac, I use Logic Pro. Mm -hmm. The two key. I also have. I, I used to use an Audio Audio Technica uh, cardioid condenser microphone, which I think is at least the same shape as your uh, Tascam. We had problems with that microphone. I think that microphone like ca captured your entire room. Yes, because it was uh, it was a cardioid and not a directional. Yeah, it was an omni omnidirectional. So there you go. Mine's mine is omnidirectional, but I don't think my room's as noisy as Adam. So you do have to experiment a little. Um, the most important thing when you're putting your 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 audio files together is to make sure, like in Vegas, you have a tool called compression. What compression does is it kind of evens out the low points and smooshes down the high points to create kind of an evener sound, and then noise reduction. That's that's basically all I do. 
And uh, Jeremy treats all of the audio before supplying it to me. Yeah. And I mean, as most of our avid listeners know, we Adam's in New York. He's buried under a mountain of snow in Buffalo right now. <laughs> I've been watching the news, Adam. Whatever you're telling me, you're full of lies. I'm telling you, man, I didn't even have to shovel my drive. <laughs> and I'm in Wisconsin, so there you go. I mean, we have to do some shuffling back and forth of audio files to get the edits done and, and convert them into MP3s. But uh, That's uh, why we're late all the time. Pretty much, because there's a fair amount of work that actually goes into it. Uh, but James Howlett, um, what I would like to propose to you now that we've kind of given you the skinny on how to make a podcast and basically anybody else who's listening – I'd like to maybe take this uh, show or shows out a little bit broader. Maybe you could have one of us on your show. And maybe Adam and I could figure out a way to have other podcasters on our show. I don't know how yet, though. We don't seem to have the right medium for it. But something I've been thinking about a little bit, and I just sprung that on Adam. Uh, okay. <laughs> so there you go. Food for thought. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, was there anything else? Um, no, that, that's it as far as uh, as far as communicate this week. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, then you may do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com uh, or facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. You can follow us at Danger Room Go. You could email us at redcat or Danger Room at redcatproductions.com. You can go out to iTunes, leave us some feedback by searching for Danger Room in the iTunes store. Clicking on us will be the first link there. Leave us a five-star review, maybe some words of encouragement. And you can listen to us on Stitcher. Oh, you could leave us a voicemail at 501-GET-X-MEN. We've gotten a couple of those. Those are always pretty sweet to hear. Those are the best. Yeah. Actually, the drink recipes are the best. And we could use We Are Out of Drink Recipes. Um, so... Another one of those would be sweet. Somebody create a Banff. That's right. I think all it has to be is purple. But don't, like, say, like, put liquid smoke in it or get dry ice. Like, feel like I went out of my way with the absinthe. I don't want to go out of my way with anything else. Too far out of my way, anyways. <laughs> Unless it's awesome. <laughs> so I read Dazzler number 12, um, and it wasn't very exciting at all. It's the return of the Tech Master. Basically, uh, can you can you sum it up in ten words? Um, hmm. Ten words. I would have had to think about You're that. Down to seven. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, hang on, hang on. It's coming to me. Um, it's not going to be ten words. It might be twenty words, though. <laughs> okay. Take as many words as you want. I was just putting you on the spot. <laughs> well done, sir. Dazzler reacquaints herself with the doctor guy. They go on a date. It doesn't go well. She makes a fool out of herself and him. She says she loves him. They go back to her house and he leaves and he thinks to her himself. I'm way over 20 words. He thinks to himself um, that maybe this is not the girl for him because they lead such different lifestyles. Uh, meanwhile, the tech master is back and he's threatening Harry Osgood and Harry Osgood is very mad at Dazzler because she kind of skipped town while she was hanging out with Galactus. Uh, so tech master sets up this elaborate, um, plan to get Dazzler and I don't know what she was going to do with Dazzler. Oh, he, he wanted Dazzler because he's working on this 
uh, project to transmute light or sound into light. And he had heard that she can do that. And he was also trying to kidnap Harry Osgood. So he sets up this thing where they both end up at the same warehouse with one another. And he's about to kill Harry Osgood. But Harry, or, uh, Dazzler is there, not in costume, actually, just in plain clothes. And she uses her powers to rescue Harry Osgood. Um, meh. Harry Osgood, like, makes good with Dazzler and says, I'll get you a gig. And that's that's really it. Oh, one more thing is that uh, Techmaster almost falls off of a railing, but he is saved at the last moment by Harry Osgood. So Techmaster's like, you're all right in my book. I'll leave you alone. It's really it. It's really all that happens. Is that the end of the Harry Osgood Techmaster saga? As far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> They just collected that in an omnibus, right? The Harry Osgood Tech Master Saga. <laughs> yes, all eight issues spanning seven titles. What'd you read this week? I read Power Man and Iron Fist number 78, where Power Man and Iron Fist stop. Oh, how's your Spanish? Uh, se habla. <laughs> Power Man and Iron Fist stop a mugging and El Aguila. Oh, the Aguila. <laughs> shows up it's uh it's the eagle oh, oh shows up to reveal that the mugging was actually a follow-up mugging to a previous mugging which is a uh serial slasher about town so they luke cage and iron fist and colleen wing and misty misty knight decide to put into plan oh and also el aguila put in a plan to stop the slasher having Colleen and Misty dressed night in order to draw his attention. And uh, uh, meanwhile, Lude, <laughs> uh, Luke Cage helps his girlfriend move into Misty Knight's apartment because Jean Grey's dead. Oh. Um, so the slasher who is hanging out with a guy named Frank um, they don't capture him, but they, they get him to stop doing his thing. Um, and, and I guess this is the reason that this is included in the uh, chronology of the X-Men, is that the slasher is Sabretooth, and uh, Frank is the boa constrictor. As, yeah. we, as we recall, they were hanging out. The, the characterization of Sabretooth is not quite there yet. Okay. It's uh, Mary Jo Duffy is writing, and he's not a very interesting character at this time okay anyway uh defender defenders 104 um beast uh there's a guy named ira sunshine gross now hang on a hippie. hang on one second the, you just said defenders 104 correct yeah yeah so uh, have there truly been 104 defenders issues or did defenders carry on from a different title I think there have been 104 Defenders issues, but I'm not a Defenders historian. So. Well, sure. So I'm just curious because, like, up until now, like, we really haven't heard of the Defenders. Well, if you... If we, well, we I guess did, we have. Yeah, a little bit. We did a Defenders issue of, yeah, a yeah. while back. Good point. Okay. The Magneto turns into a baby. It just feels like, you know, between Avengers and X-Men and Fantastic Four and... Here we have the defenders who are in the uh, in the hundreds. Like they must have been selling somewhat good. 
Why don't you ever hear about those older well, keep, issues? Keep, keep in mind, the Avengers and the X-Men, even though they started around the same time, the Avengers are on issue like mid, uh, 220, whereas the X-Men are only on 140 because of the whole bi-monthly. And, uh, right, right, right. And then the, the time that they stopped altogether. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Defender just must have shown up somewhere 100 issues in. <laughs> okay. To the Avengers run. Uh, anyway, uh, Ira Sunshine Gross is a hippie junkie who is being helped by Devil Slayer, um, who is apparently a defender right now, I think. I, I wasn't sure on that point. Um, Devil Slayer discovers that his estranged wife has been kidnapped by some go- dude that he, when he used to be a reporter, he killed the guy's wife and child accidentally because when he was working for the mob, or no, the, the guy was a reporter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the reporter guy became uh, a magician of sorts in order to get back at Devil Slayer. Uh, meanwhile, at Doctor Strange's house, uh, Beast shows up and needing help, and Sunshine interrupts, and Beast calls Wonder Man also to help. And they all go after uh, Devil Slayer, and they discover that his wife is being held in some weird alternate reality. Oh, and the reporter's guy, the reporter's name is Ian Fate. And he now wields the Crimson Bands of Sidorak, Oh, which are apparently something completely different now. <laughs> oh. Because he's like, do you see how effortlessly I've detect- deflected your spell and trapped you in the Crimson Bands of Sidorak? And in this case, the Crimson Bands are these energy emanations uh, banding together Doctor Strange's arms and legs in a, a red kind of uh, chains of sort. I'm emanating as we speak. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> um, Devil Slayer's wife gets stabbed by a demon, but it turns out that Ian Fate could not kill a woman, and it's really just Devil, Devil Slayer's pal, Sunshine. Uh, Devil Slayer tries to kill Ian Fate, but Wonder Man stops him and says that, hey, you killed this guy's wife and kid. This is all your fault. And... Um, Devil Slayer, because you're right, disappears. Everybody's sad. And on that note, Beast says, hey, I uh, I hate to sound like a jerk, um, but uh, what's happened here today has only made my problem seem all the more urgent. Can we get back to your house, Doctor Strange? And that's where it ends. Oh. Astute fans may have an idea of what Beast, Beast's problem is. I don't know what Beast's problem is. Is it that he's gay? <laughs> it starts with the V. Oh, all right. And by the way, being gay is not necessarily a problem. I wasn't going to touch that with a (laughs) 10-foot He might perceive it as a problem, but it's, you know, it's cool. (laughs) It's cool with us. (laughs) Uh, Anything else going on, Adam? No, Jeremy, nothing's going on over here. All right, then. Well, uh, everybody have a happy Thanksgiving. Have a slice of X-Pie with your ex-turkey and your ex-mashed potatoes with your ex-stuffing. I, too, hope you have already had a nice Thanksgiving because this episode will be coming out after your Thanksgiving. Yes. So hopefully you're just overstuffed with all of that ex-food and listening to this brand new episode of The Danger Room. But until next time... Star Jammers. The Danger Room is closed. This is our-